Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. Welcome, Jem. I'm super excited to chat with you today. And I was going to say, Jem, that's such a cool name. Is that your full name or? Uh, my full name is Jemuel, oh, okay. uh, pronounced or spelled very similar to Samuel, but with a J-E. Oh, that's so But I go by Jem cool. because, yeah, I, I get I get Jamal pretty much okay. my entire life. So you get tired of that after a while. I'm sure. Yeah, it's a unique name for sure. But Either way, Jem is awesome too. So either way, it's it's nice to meet you, Jem. Um, super excited to have you on the podcast today. So thanks for taking some time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, and as you said, happy Friday. <laughs> excited to cruise into the weekend. It's starting to kind of feel like winter's over here in Colorado. And you're in California, right? So you probably don't have as much of a season shift. <laughs> yeah, we. I, I don't. I don't actually know what winter is. I hear it's when it's cold and snowy and depressing, but yeah, here in uh, sunny Oakland, California, we, we do not have winter. <laughs> it's a slightly less summer. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely jealous of that. Sometimes I'm luckily a skier, so I can take advantage of the snow, but there are definitely those days that I'm jealous of that, but um, <laughs> yeah, great to meet you. So why don't we start by you just telling everyone a little bit about you and and kind of your journey, how you got into tech. I know you're, you've been at Netflix for a little bit now. Um, I just pulled up your Twitter bio. I always love reading people's Twitter bios. And I was going to ask if it's a coincidence that you're at Netflix and you're also a sucker for good cinematography. Um, that seems like a great, <laughs> a great setup you've got there, but <laughs> yeah, I would love to just hear a bit about your journey, kind of how you got into this world and what you're doing now. Ah, absolutely. And uh, first off, th thanks Margo for having me on and thanks Harper DB for uh, running a podcast and, you know, asking me questions because I, I love sharing my journey and my story and hopefully it, I don't know, inspires people or more more likely they will learn the mistakes that I made so they don't also make, make the same mistakes, <laughs> hopefully. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I can start with where I am today and then, uh, you know, we can have it back and forth if that's Perfect. more efficient. So yeah. I don't want to start from the beginning because there's just no context there to be like, yeah. who's Jim? Anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I am a senior software engineer at Netflix. I've been at Netflix for five years and, and, and some change. Um, I worked, I originally started as a UI engineer. So working on netflix.com, building out features and A-B tests and bug fixes and all the, all the good stuff that people know and love on netflix.com. And eventually over time, I realized actually what I'm really passionate about is infrastructure and okay. the, the back end and working with all those things. But I still, I still love the front end. So fortunately, because the front end landscape is so vast and broad, uh, there's room for someone like me who loves, still loves front end and UI code, but they can work on the back end. Uh, and that's primarily what I do is I work in Node and I work in Groovy and Java and a few other languages, but uh, I support the UI engineers who build out netflix.com and the experiences there. And that also goes on uh, the website, the TV, Android app, the iOS app. I support uh, all of those engineers by building out infrastructure for them. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's what I do today. Well, that's that's awesome that you made the switch, I guess, from from UI to more backend infrastructure because, as you said, you're still supporting those folks and you need to know what they're going through and and what their goals are and what they're focused on. And so you probably have, by this point, a really great understanding of you know what needs to be done on both sides. I know some. Some developers are a little more siloed to just front end or back end, but it sounds like you kind of got the best of both worlds experience. If at all possible, I prefer to jump around and have yeah. a broad uh, range of experiences. I I truly believe empathy is one of the key characteristics of a good software engineer is understanding like what are you building for, who are you building for, and why you're doing it. Uh, I can tell you an environment that I would not thrive in is an environment where people just hand me work and <laughs> right. like, Hey, Jim, <laughs> close this GR ticket or, um, you know, take care of these Trello tasks or whatever, uh, task management, but in, in an environment where I'm just told what to do and I don't have autonomy because I generally question everything, not in a hostile way, but in a, well, I want to make sure I'm making the best use of my time. And you hired me as an expert at what I do. So as an expert, I know what I should be spending my time on generally. And I like to ask a lot of questions. So uh, fortunately, Netflix is the ideal environment for that and ideal environment for me. And obviously, I've I've been here five years. So I, <laughs> I, I guess I've made it <laughs> in terms of uh, making it through uh, Netflix engineering culture. Right. A little bit past your foot in the door. <laughs> That's a bit fun. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that's super exciting I mean yeah that's again that's probably just another part of the challenge of being in this space is not only finding a role and we're and you know figuring out whether you want to be full stack or or what programming languages you want to work with but also just finding a company culture that supports what you're looking for I mean as you said you like jumping around and probably wearing a lot of different hats and having that independence and some people might be the exact opposite. So that's, you know, always a great sign to have that balance and that harmony of it's kind of firing on all cylinders and, and working in all those different areas. I know a lot of people um, might not agree with the situation they're in. So that's probably super exciting to be in the, in the space you're in. <laughs> and uh, it, it is, <laughs> it's extremely exciting, but I make no mistake that I am lucky in my journey and I'm lucky in the, the people that I've met and the positive influences I've had in my life to get where I am. And I, I recognize that's not always available for everybody. Uh, it's easy for us on a podcast and people that are pretty well established in tech to talk about, oh, you just do this, you do this, you do this. But I, I remember what it's like starting out and having Hi. no influence and having no impact or feeling like you have no influence and impact. and not even knowing your preferred working style in terms of, well, maybe you do function better in an environment where there's, it's a very clear hierarchy about who does what and when you're doing what and the type of tasks you need to close versus in my role, it's very ambiguous. And the work that I do is largely decided by me and uh, with, you know, input from my team and the engineers I support, but it's it's very daunting to some people to be in the position that I'm in, and I like I recognize that it, it's it's tricky, and it, it takes years of experience I think to figure out what your preferred style is and what you're best at. 
and I, yeah, I, I'm fortunate that I have landed in like a groove, yeah, place, if you will. But uh, yeah, I, I don't expect people just starting out to understand like where do you want to work, what's your preferred working style, and <laughs> things like that. Right. It just takes time to figure out. Yeah, definitely got to try a couple different things and cross some things off the list. And um, I, I actually did a not long ago a podcast that was tips for code newbies and people just getting started and. One thing I was curious about because I've heard people talk about it is do you you know do you have to know right away when you're getting into tech or or starting to be a developer learning to code do you have to know right away what your focus is or what you want to be doing in 5 or 10 years but it's I mean it's almost like in any industry except for maybe medical or a couple others where you don't really have to know and you it's hard to know and I think maybe if you pinhole yourself too much into one spot you might end up missing out on experiencing another area that you actually enjoy more and so I think I think that's why for code newbies at least it can be overwhelming because they think okay well so I should try to learn everything up front or start with one thing and and switch jump around and of course everyone has different styles but um I think that's one awesome thing about the tech industry is that it seems like it's easy to jump around and and take your skills and and build them and move them elsewhere and just really figure out kind of what works best for each individual person Absolutely uh I, I do get a lot of uh, inbound requests and I try to give out advice to, to code newbies and people that are newer to the industry. And one of the things I say, because I wish I had done it, is have more of a focus on what I want to do in five and 10 years. When I started, it was more, well, let's see how this goes. And right. you know, you kind of let the universe blow you around in the way that it does. Uh, if I, when I give out advice, sometimes it's often, you don't have to know precisely what you want to do in say five years, but it's nice to have a general idea and it's nice to move towards those goals slowly over time, but you generally want that. Otherwise you end up kind of where you end up and you feel like you didn't have uh, control over, over your own destiny. Right. When you, you in fact do, when you look back and you're like, oh, actually did. I had an offer from this company and an offer from this company. I did have a bit of control, but it can often feel like you don't unless you have a goal in mind. Right. But also with tech, especially front end, you have to stay flexible and you have to stay agile. Because if you say, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would be like, oh, I want to be the world's top Ruby on Rails expert. Cool. But that that is not as strong a framework these days, and I would have been kind of pigeonholed into a specific skill set versus focusing on broad technologies and and broad engineering theory about like how do people work together, how do people operate, what is this framework doing? Like not at a super low level, just at a high level. How is it thinking about structuring data and moving it around? It's 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 uh to me it's it's the high level thinking that's the most fascinating part of engineering. But it doesn't help at all when I tell new people this because it's just overwhelming. You're like, cool, cool, Jam. That's great. That's great advice. I, I appreciate that. But what I really need to do today is close this bug and figure out why. Right. Endpoints returning a 302 instead of a 200. <laughs> and I'm like, I get that. So I I have to like temper my advice for, I guess, the what the person is looking for and where they're at in their career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's one of those things where 
you can give you can give that advice and even if people aren't registering it now and, and they're so focused on the short term and what action items they have, I'm sure in a couple of years they'll have some sort of come to moment and they'll be like, oh, I remember that advice that Jem mentioned. I remember him saying this is the important part and this is what to focus on. And you know, I think I think you know everyone has so many different ways of giving advice. There's no right or wrong. And um, like I've had people that have mentioned things to me years ago that I only just now understand. So I'm sure it's similar um, as what you're saying. Like if you're, it might not be resonating, but it's probably still helping if it kind of stays in the back of their mind. <laughs> Hopefully, I, I hope it helps. There are, <laughs> and and I'll say this: my advice changes over the years as I myself grow as an engineer, and I understand more and more things kind of kind of like you're saying margo uh you've gotten advice years ago and you just didn't appreciate it at the time right i i have the same thing the same people gave me good advice i didn't appreciate it at the time and my perspective has now changed and i'm like oh that that is good advice uh <laughs> but isn't that the folly of youth is yep, <laughs> we, exactly. we never listen to people with experience <laughs> and uh that that's one of my goals this year is actually to listen to more people and even if I disagree with their their statement or their principles, it's still a data point. And what I can do as an engineer and as a human is aggregate all of those data points together and make my own decision. But the more data you have, the better that decision will be, I think. But that's right. really difficult. It's easy to say, but it's really difficult to do, to listen to people that you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. But they have a perspective. Uh, which is important to to take in, especially in, in these times. Yeah. Just listening to people is really helpful. Exactly. I know that's that's an interesting point you make because it, it kind of even reminds me of that documentary that everyone was kind of talking about not that long ago, The Social Dilemma, about how now it's so easy to just keep being fed the information and the views of what you already believe in. And so not only, you know, you don't even have to make that choice anymore of do I want to listen to people that have an opposing view? Because if you want, you don't even have to see those views or hear them. Um, so I think that's an interesting point you make of at least taking a moment to listen. And even if you do disagree, just trying to understand where that point of view is coming from. Yeah, exactly. It's, but again, this is easy advice for, for us to give on a podcast sitting right. in our rooms. But Way harder to do I, in actual life. <laughs> exactly. Because it, it, it I don't know, we, it's easy to be outraged. And don't get me wrong, I, I get as outraged as everybody else. It, it takes so much discipline and self-control to, to sit back and be like, all right, let, let these emotions pass. What is this person actually saying? What is their intent? Where are they coming from? It could be way off. It could, you could like disagree vehemently with everything they're saying. Right. However, it, yeah, just having that that level of discipline to be like, okay, but what are they saying exactly, and why are they saying it? Uh, sorry, we we got a bit tangential there. But I know. More, <laughs> more existential, but still good topic. Exactly. I know. Well, I guess to bring it back back to home a little bit. Uh, one thing I was going to ask, I'm curious about that. I'm sure people ask you before, just because it's so cool that you're at Netflix, which is something that pretty much everyone watches or has used at some point in their life. Um, maybe when you were, maybe when you were more on the UI side, I mean, what's that like working on a product that's, that's so popular and having, you know, those decisions where every, I'm sure a tiny little button or tiny little feature change or something could make a huge difference. Like, 
are there, you know, does everyone have tons of opinions and all these different cool things you want to do? Or is it at Netflix, is it kind of like simplicity and just keep keep it as easy to use as possible? Or, or what was that experience like? I, I can't imagine, you know, being part of something that is has over the years expanded and just grown so quickly. I, I'll tell you a secret, Margo. <laughs> Underneath all of the, the shiny veneer of... Uh, engineering excellence in every company you ever go to right when you actually get there you see that things are on fire <laughs> you see there's poor documentation uh you see there's technical issues and technical debt that has piled up over the years yeah that is the truth of netflix as well uh, i i know it's it's kind of a weird take to start off with by saying like oh yeah we have problems but netflix has the same problems that every yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> hopefully it's relatable. I'm, I'm not just talking uh, junk on my team. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, I, I think it's important to, I guess, remove the halo of a lot of like Fang and tech companies in that you, you get there and if you expect like this well-functioning machine with smart people having intelligent conversations all the time, and things like tech debt and uh, regressions on your features are unknown. It is patently untrue. Every tech company in the world from your Google to Microsoft to Netflix, they have the same issues that everybody else does. It's just the scale of what you deal with is different and the tooling available is different. Uh, so when I started, I was like, I've made it. I finally <laughs> made it to uh, what I consider one of the foremost engineering companies in the world. Everything's gonna be good from now on. I'm gonna learn so much stuff uh, from so many smart people. And I have, and it's true, but uh, I'll, I'll just recount my, my first week, which was <laughs> trying to get my environment set up and the instructions were out of date. So a lot of my environment setup was me going to talk to other people and asking them a lot of silly questions like, hey, <laughs> Which node version are we on? Because I'm on this, but when I do a brew install, it, it does this and it throws off all the scripts and it's not working. And it was it was actually useful and humbling to have to talk to other engineers and talk to other people outside of my organization. Right. Because at the end of the day, communication is fundamental to engineering. And if there's if there's any takeaways that I've learned in my time at Netflix so far, it's you cannot overstate the importance of a good communicate of good communication and the ability just to talk to people without being uh looked at or mocked or oh that's a dumb question we're not going to answer that that didn't happen at all and uh, fortunately uh, and i was forced to learn pick up these skills over time and i was forced from from week one because i had to talk to people to get set up and <laughs> so this this is netflix this is a. Uh, what a, a, I don't know how many billions of dollars Netflix is worth. And I'm sitting here and I can't get notes set up on my laptop. <laughs> That's to put things in perspective. Right. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the difference is, is that when I was finished, I had contributed back to the onboarding docs and said like, hey, actually, this is out of date. This is out of date. This is out of date. And that's what every person does who onboards to, to my team is we try to improve the documentation a little bit for the next person okay. rather than just being like, Oh, this is, this is my problem and I'll just solve it. And like, that's the end of it. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that was how we started. That was how my, my tenure at Netflix started mainly the first 
couple months, I'd say even the first year or two, it was mainly filled with a ton of imposter syndrome. Like, yeah, I don't know how I got to the interview. Man, I got lucky. These people are all so much smarter than me. <laughs> uh, I, like, how am I going to keep up in this environment? But it really helped that I had a really amazing manager, Ryan Burgess. Uh, he and uh, like to this day, like we're we're friends and uh, we do a podcast together and lot, lots of other things. We go to conferences and all that. But oh, cool. Fortunately, uh, he he was an amazing leader and still is. But he because I was worried. I, I I went into my one on one and I said, Ryan, you know I. What if I can't keep up? What if this was a mistake? What if I shouldn't be here? I, I don't have the same level of engineering talent that everybody else. And he said, Jem, you got through the interview. The team loved you. You're here because you earned it. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't luck. You have the skill and you have the talent and you shouldn't doubt that. And in case you do start sucking in the future, <laughs> don't worry. I will tell you and you will know. You will know well in advance if your qual if the quality of work we expect from you is not to the level that we need for the rest of the team, and you'll know it won't be a surprise when we have that conversation. Right. And if it comes down to it, if it really came down to it, and you weren't cutting in and you weren't improving, I will be the one to fire you. No one else. There won't be a director. It won't be HR. It'll be me. So don't right. worry. <laughs> and honestly, that took such a load off of me. It's such yeah. a, a minor thing for a leader to do, but to reassure me and give me that validation, it really let me grow and ask questions and make mistakes, knowing that my manager had my back the entire time. Right. And if I were going off the rails, he, he, he would cover me. Yeah. And that's, that's so helpful for a new person for, yeah. at any company. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I think that's so vital to success. Like I'm sure everyone has learned the hard way that you can work at it at an awesome company with a super sexy product, but if you don't have a good team, and as you said, don't have good communication and just don't have that trust with your manager, it's, you know, it could be miserable. Um, like I, I'm so appreciative every day to be on such an awesome team that I'm on. And, and it's kind of similar to what you said, where it's so nice to know that, you know, even if people don't have the time to come every single time you do something good and say like, Oh, Hey, that was awesome. It's okay. Because you know, that, when you are doing something wrong, that that guidance will be there and that you'll know. So as like exactly what you said, it's so nice to not have to wonder like, am I on the right track? Am I doing something wrong? Because yeah, we all want to know when we're not on the right track. I mean, people <laughs> don't, don't usually want negative feedback, but I mean, I appreciate it because then you can get back on track. And so I, I think that's super important to know that you had that trust back and forth, that that communication was open. And if you do find out that you messed up a little bit, it's not the end of the world because you can just have a conversation and figure out what needs to change. Exactly, Margo. Exactly. I think that's it's missed a lot when we talk about uh, like engineering excellence and engineering cultures. That the the ability to create a safe space for a team is one of the key aspects in creating a high performing team. But we miss that. We miss that all the time in tech. We think it's oh, it's our technology stack that's slowing us down, or our computers are too slow, or we're using the wrong IDE, or the font we chose for the website isn't performing as well as we want. And yeah, I mean, sure, maybe, maybe those things have a very minor effect, but really what makes the biggest difference is having a safe space for a team. I was asked this in, a, in an interview the other day. They said, Jim, what, what, is, the, what is one 
uh, characteristic of a good leader that you really admire and respect? And I said, vulnerability. For a leader to be be able to get up in front of the group or on stage and admit their mistakes or admit like, hey, team, you know, I'm struggling with burnout too and I'm going to take a vacation. Or just any anybody who can, any leader who can go up there and admit that they are human too, right. they're not perfect, I think helps create this safe environment where you're free to make mistakes. And yeah, you're you're going to screw up big time. I definitely have. I, I've broken countless, countless things, introduced a number of bugs. I've taken some big miss, take, taken some really big risks and missed. But in all of that, I have learned a lot. And all of those mistakes I've made just made my future endeavors much more fruitful because I know that, yeah, I'll, I'll take a big take a big risk. I'll, I'll swing for the fences sometimes and it's the wrong call. It was the wrong technical decision or the architecture is wrong. But the one by wins, the, the things where I, I have succeeded in the past with taking big bets, they've paid off so much more than my failures have. Like they've paid off 10, 100 times more than any of my mistakes. And the key to that is creating a safe space for a team right. and just making this environment where you can take risks and you can fail and you can admit it and you move on. And you learn from that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think I could have said it better. And that's a really interesting point, as you said, that people probably don't think of. I'm sure a lot of people when asked that same question of what do you admire in a leader would list a, a bunch of other things first that are important, but vulnerability is an interesting one that is important and kind of goes under the radar and I think goes underappreciated. Um, but yeah, it's so important to remember that these people are human and, and seeing people in a leadership role, make a mistake, but come back from it and learn from it and move forward. I think is like the best thing you can do for a team instead of trying to cover it up and create that image of like, I don't do anything wrong. I mean, that just frustrates everyone because we're not idiots. We know everyone's human. So I think, yeah, I think that's a really cool answer to that and a, and a good way to look at it and probably something that people appreciate when they see it, but they don't even know, maybe they don't even recognize it when they see it um, just because it's not talked about a lot, I guess. No, exactly. It's not, it's not the popular portrayal of what we think as leaders historically, right. at least how leaders are portrayed. We, we, we perceive them as generally uh, a man of some sort. Uh, and we, we perceive them as these stalwart figures standing in the snow, right. pondering off in the distance, <laughs> uh, making these deep decisions and people respect them because you know the, the commander knows what's best and that's how decisions are made. But in reality, and this is backed by many, many studies, the best teams are the ones that are collaborative and the best leaders are the ones who create a safe space for their, their, uh, their direct reports to make mistakes and share these ideas because who's smarter, one really smart person or 10 really smart people. Right. And the, the answer seems obvious, but that's not the way we perceive leaders in, in the world in tech, especially we perceive them as visionaries and they go off solo and they, they make these decisions in a bubble, but, that's not true at all. And I can say that's something I really respect of Netflix leaders is they'll tell you when they don't know something. They'll say, hey, Jim, what, what does that mean? I don't, I don't really understand that bit. Right. And most people wouldn't do that. They'll just be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I understood the acronym. Mm-hmm. You know, they sit back. <laughs> exactly. And, and a good leader won't, won't do that. They'll ask a lot of questions. 
and they'll ask questions that are they they try to invoke a certain sense of thinking. So I'll say this of my my current manager, uh, Micah Ransdell. He he will ask questions that he knows the answer to, but he wants me or the team to think out loud about them, and it really forces us to be like, oh, you know, now that you asked that question, now we have to say it out loud. Uh, going with this particular architecture or this library doesn't really make a lot of sense, and that's something a, a good leader does is mm -hmm. they ask like tactical questions, yeah, rather than. Um, we call it accidental bullying. I think Reed Hastings, the CEO of uh, Netflix, is he, he used that term a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's also known as the the hippo. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the hippo, as for those who don't know, is the uh, highest paid person's opinion, which <laughs> honestly, that's what it comes down to. And I, I I prefer the phrase accidental bullying when like a VP or director or a C level is like, well, have we thought about this? And immediately the entire room shifts their thinking and like, oh, because this person said that and they're uh, a high up leader, they must be right. And we must, we should think along the way they're thinking. Right. And as, as leaders, that's a really easy trap to fall into because you're like, it gratifies your ego because people are nodding along. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's so smart. Yeah, of course you're right. But you have to recognize your position of power and that, yeah, of course, if you're CEO and you say, Hey, why don't we move to, uh, I don't know. Why don't we move to Bitbucket instead of GitHub? People are gonna be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. But is it, is it a great idea? You don't know. You'll, and you'll never know because everybody's agreeing along with you. So that's not the way to approach it. Or that, that's an easy way to become an accidental bully. Right. You're telling people. And, but it seems like you're getting feedback and consensus, but really they're just agreeing with you because that's just what humans do. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. I'm sure everyone's guilty of that. I'm even thinking about like, I, th I think whenever I'm newer in a role, I'm, I'm super guilty of that, of just nodding along and agreeing. And I think as time goes on and you build that relationship, you might get more comfortable to, to stand up and, and say, well, Hey, you know, I respect that opinion, but here's why maybe that won't work. But Again, I mean, no one wants to be the first person to do it. And I'm sure that it creates this kind of group mentality of, okay, well, if everyone's nodding along and agreeing, then I will too. So it's almost like if leaders can avoid those, I, I don't know if you would call them leading questions or whatever it is, where, as you said, instead of saying, have you thought about X, Y, Z, leave it more open-ended. Um, so it's not such a kind of closed book discussion. Yeah, it's... Be, being a leader, especially as I mature along in my career, I see is it's such a difficult proposition. Uh, it takes so much discipline to be a good leader. And I'm sure if you look back on your career, you've had your fair share of bad, bad leaders and bad managers. And you've had your probably, hopefully, your share of good leaders and, and good managers. Right. But... It, when we really think about it, we see how difficult it is to be a good leader in terms of you might be the most knowledgeable person in the team, but your your job isn't to make decisions. It's to encourage your team to make the best decisions. Right. And you just kind of sit back and hopefully guide that conversation. But it's really difficult, especially if you're the most technically knowledgeable <laughs> person in the room yeah. to like not say anything that <laughs> it takes so much will and so much self-control that, uh, leaders who can just 
just ask the minimal amount of questions to not become accidental bullies, it, it's really difficult. It's underappreciated uh, <laughs> skill set to, to have. Yeah. Have there been times where you've been in a position and your team, I guess, makes a decision that you really didn't agree with and you just kind of went along with it to either, I don't know, either let them learn the hard way or it still turned out fine, even if it's not the way you would have done it. But you, you know, if you could have gone back, you would have changed it. I don't know if that, I was asking that in a straight way, but have, you know, have there been times where you've been trying so hard not to be an accidental bully that you didn't intervene and you just kind of went with what the team was thinking? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. <laughs> Marco, believe me, I have, I have made many, many, many mistakes. <laughs> I won't say I've made every mistake because that would be arrogant to think I've made every mistake so far. I'm sure there are mistakes that I will make in the future. I'll just apologize to anybody who works with me <laughs> ahead of time. I'm not doing it on purpose. Uh, yeah, I, I have I've sat back and not said anything and been more passive. Right. Yeah. Which is, it's so much worse because then you're just grumbling and disgruntled and people are like, oh, why? Yeah, exactly. I didn't, agree with that. I, I didn't want to move the TypeScript. This is this is dumb. <laughs> this is this is BS. But like, that doesn't help. That doesn't help team cohesion. It doesn't help your mental health. Right. It is it is much better to make your opinion heard in the beginning and say like, hey, actually, uh, you know, I don't really agree with this. Can we explain our thinking? And when you do that, you can. Force people to explain it to you in a very simple way, and I, I always say this: it's something I believe deep down. If you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it. And by uh, asking probing questions and asking the right questions, and essentially making people explain it to you, you make sure that hey, actually they do know what they're talking about, and they they've been very thoughtful. So I have trust in their decision-making process and the decisions they're making and that the team has made to get to this point. It's, it's really difficult to create a good team environment where that's acceptable. And it's really hard to ask those questions without coming across as overly negative. Right. Uh, I, again, that's another trait of a, a strong, a very difficult trait to master as a leader, which is like, hey, I don't agree with the direction we're going in, but how do I say that constructively to the team Right. And make sure that they've made the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it's kind of a constant balancing act of when, when do I need to intervene? What kind of questions do I need to ask and how do I need to ask them? And I'm sure each situation calls for a different reaction. So um, I think, I think that's why leadership roles can be so hard because you're balancing not only your own needs and opinions, but however many people are on the team. So um, I think you, I think you put it in a, in a great you know, paint it in a great light and give great tips around that of um, finding that balance between leading and taking the team in the right direction, but not just being like, this is the me show. And, you know, I run, I run this and no one else <laughs> helps me with anything. Cause that's definitely not, not usually very accepted either. <laughs> it's a, and it, honestly, it's a different, uh, we, we talked about this before, but it's a different view of leadership than we've had historically. And in fact, uh, what I love at, at Netflix is if you want to be an engineering manager, one of the, the first question they're going to ask you is, why do you want to be an engineering manager? And the wrong answer is to say like, well, I have a lot of good ideas and I want to make sure I like can enforce those ideas or I've made a lot of right decisions in the past and I'm really good at being an engineer and all these things and I want to take that through a broader scope. Which, 
uh, to me, that's the wrong answer. The, the right answer is, well, you want to help people. And you realize that by being a leader, you actually step back. You are at the back of the pack. All of the wins your teams have or is your teams, not yours. And that's very different from being in a, an IC and individual contributor, where when I ship that feature, I get all the praise and I get all the thanks and I'm feeling good about myself. As a manager, you don't get, or as a leader, you don't get that anymore. You're now from the back. When your team succeeds, you're happy, but no one's like, oh, Margo, good job running that team and running that project. You really drove that to the finish line for them. Like people generally aren't going to say that. So when you're, when you're thinking about being a manager or a leader of some sort, it's that recognition that you're really there to help drive the best decision-making for the team. And oftentimes, and most of the time, if you're doing things right, that won't be your decision. It'll be the team's decision. And your job is to make sure that they're making the right decisions at all time. And that's, it's just a different mindset from being a, an engineer who codes all day. It's a very right. different way of solving problems. Yeah. Yeah. You really have to shift from being that independent contributor and figuring out how to think on a much wider scale and just a little more globally and with, with everything that's involved. Um, yeah. I, it's funny. I actually, one of the first episodes that I, that we did with this podcast, I just interviewed a couple of our founders at Herpity B. And that was one of the main questions we focused on was what was it like going from just being a developer and, and really just kind of worrying about yourself to leading a team. And I think especially in the tech startup world, that can happen super quickly. Sometimes not, sometimes not all leaders are super excited about it and it can be a quick transition. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's an interesting discussion, especially in the tech space where uh, maybe people don't have, uh, I mean, there's so many different definitions of people skills, but maybe they don't have the people <laughs> skills that you would expect in, in a leadership role like that. And so, yeah, I think it's a really interesting conversation, especially in the engineering world, as you said, it's probably, um, you really have to shift your mindset. It, it, Margo, I'm glad you, you brought up the, your earlier podcast episodes with the, the founders of HarborDB and uh, uh, moving from an IC role, uh, an engineering role to uh, a more of a leadership role. One of the more common mistakes that I see in, in tech in Silicon Valley and it's very consistent is the idea that good engineers make good leaders and good managers. So, and this happens all the time at startups where, you know, you're, you're engineer number three, you've worked hard, you put in the time, the team grows and grows and grows. And eventually because of seniority, they're going to say, Hey, you actually need a leader for this team. Do you want to be a manager? Or sometimes they'll tell you, they just, they just tell you, uh, yeah, you're a manager now. You're like, cool. Right. Cause you're such a good engineer, but we still haven't brought that recognition that they're entirely different skill sets. Exactly. Someone can be a poor engineer and an amazing leader, and someone can be an amazing engineer and a poor leader. And it, because they're just different parts of your brain, I would say, and it's different ways of thinking about organizations. But consistently, this this is always a problem where it's like, oh yeah, you're you're now director of engineering because you've been at the company longest versus you're director of engineering because you operate teams well and you understand how organizations work. Right. Yeah, I know that's, that's an important reminder. And I think it's, um, I, I hope that there's not many situations where someone walks up to someone and just says, you're a manager now, because <laughs> you would think that everyone would be excited about that. But I think that people should, you know, especially in this space have 
the opportunity to kind of opt out because if you're not excited about that and you're not ready and you don't think that's something you want to do, then, you know, you don't, that's not a, that's not a great way to start. Um, I'm sure you can learn and adapt as it, as it moves forward. But, um, you know, I would hope that people moving into those roles are excited about it and, and <laughs> eager and trying to do good in it, not just forced into it. I, <laughs> I've never heard of that situation, but I'm sure it does happen for sure. <laughs> It, it's it's surprisingly common, but yeah. it, it's it's because we and this is a societal thing. We don't step back and think, well, what are the qualities we admire in a leader? Right. Uh, if you take this to any other industry, uh, say football, the best football player in the world isn't necessarily going to be the best coach. Right. And you're like, yeah, of course, that's that's intuitive. That makes sense. They're they're entirely different skill sets. But in tech, we often do that as oh, the best engineer is going to be the best manager which is entirely not true. Right. But it, yeah, it, it's it's fairly common from what I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's an important reminder for sure. Um, one thing I was gonna ask is, if you were to kind of look back more towards the beginning of your career, I guess before you were at Netflix, do you have any you know, tips or or do's and don'ts for people that might be in a position that you were in five years ago or seven years ago that, um, want to get to some sort of leadership position or just want to get on a tech team at a huge company or, um, you know, advance in their career? Like, do you have any looking back um, certain moments where you were like, okay, those decisions really helped, those decisions didn't, or these are the roles to be looking for? Um, anything that kind of might be helpful for like the five years ago, you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've got plenty. I've made plenty of mistakes to learn from <laughs> in the past and hopefully a few good decisions where I ended up where I'm I am. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I, one of them is, I think it's really important to get a good breadth of experience. So I've worked for, um, I started my career out of college at a, a really small healthcare startup in Georgia where it was a great environment because I can ask a lot of questions. People are friendly. We weren't moving super break things fast. Uh, so I had the chance to learn and have good mentorship there. So if I had advice is find someone who takes an interest in you and then utilize that wisdom because the advice they're telling you is probably good advice. You may not be, uh, you may not be capable of receiving it yet. Like your mind's just not there, but they have experience, they've made mistakes and you're trying to learn from them. So that's one of the things I did early on was, you know, I, I try to find the people who want to sponsor me and who are invested in me and say like, hey, Jem's got, he's got the magic. He, he's got something there. Right. But let's build on that. And like, find those people, find your friends, find your support group of people that believe in you. Because that, that will take you so much farther than you think, especially when you're down in the hole and you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Having someone there to back you and ask questions and tell you about the right path has been really helpful. Uh, another one, uh, but uh, as part of that is, that means getting a good breadth of experience and talking to a lot of people and understanding, well, what what do I want to do? What What's important to me? Is it making more money? Is it increasing my skill set? Is it working for a cool company? Is it having an impact in the things that I do? Understanding that will make you much happier in the long run. For instance, I know amazing engineers, world-class talent, top-tier engineers 
that what they really want to do is they don't want to make money. I mean, they, you know, we all have rent to pay and we all have yeah. uh, bills. So like, obviously they want to get paid, but <laughs> what, what really drives them is not money necessarily. It's helping other people. So they work for nonprofits and they work for politics that they support. And it's just, it's inspiring to see that because it's easy to get trapped in like the, the rat race of money and trying to increase your salary every year, which is important. Don't be underpaid. But what really brings happiness is finding what's important to you and the causes you believe in. I can tell you right now, like being honest, like something working in advertising is just not appealing to me. (laughs) I get that's how the internet works, but it just doesn't. I don't know. I, I don't feel good about myself when I do things like that. It's it's just not an area I'm in, invested in. And I'm not casting judgment on anybody else. This is me personally. But it took it took a lot of experience and it took a lot of years of working at various startups in New York and working at Netflix in uh, Silicon Valley to learn that about myself and about the things I do prefer. So if I, right. coming back to advice for new people, it's like try to figure out what you want and the things that make you happy because eventually you you will get enough money if you if you're good at your job and you work or if you're good at your job and you grow your skill set and you're not a jerk yeah you will make enough money in tech eventually so when you hit that point what then like what makes you happy past that point right and most people don't get most people never get that far they are just we're, we're always chasing a little bit more but yeah your goal should be like contentment in life and not these one, one off moments of happiness. And yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think those are, I think those are great tips and super important because I'm sure there's plenty of people that they're just, their only end goals ending up at an Amazon or at a Netflix or whatever, a huge company, but they don't even know why or what role or if that fulfills, you know what I mean? It, It might just be, kind of this like blind goal to end up in what you expect to be like really making it. But as you said, really making it is really different for every single person. And so that's why you need to understand your strengths and what you enjoy. And I think that's a great tip. And I I also love the tip about finding champions and finding people that really will sponsor you, as you said, because it was reminding me of one of the first managers I had and kind of, I guess I would say my first like real job long ago, um, I've kept in touch with. And he always along the way was, I could tell, as you said, like really just on my team and supported me and and wanted to help me find good opportunities. And he ended up being the one that made the introduction to where I'm at now at Harvard EB, which is like the happiest I've ever been in my career on this awesome team. And so you never know if you keep those connections and keep in touch, like don't ever <laughs> underestimate the the power of, I guess, networking, you call it, because um, it really does pay off, as you said, and just finding those people that believe in you. It's like, it's hard to, it's hard to find something that beats that. Yeah, it, I, I love you said networking. That is so, so important. I, I remember thinking in college, like, oh, that's, that's dumb. That's, <laughs> it seems self-serving and grubby and it, it doesn't have to be. I, I think you can make real connections with people that are valuable for your personal life and your professional life. And they don't have to be exclusive. You can you can do both. But the importance of knowing other people and making connections with people is super critical in tech. Tech is is a really small community. It it often doesn't seem like it, but it's a small world. Right. People 
like we can we can spit out names on the podcast and people are like oh yeah i've heard of those people well have <laughs> you heard of those people because they network well and that is really important because eventually you're probably going to leave your job or maybe you want to check out different opportunities and it's really helpful to know people at other companies just to understand the culture uh the roles they do the work they do heck even the salary they make it's important to know all these things ahead of time and it helps you make the best decisions possible so that you're you're constantly chasing or not chasing but you're finding what makes you content and happy in life right I, and I, I say all this i know it's like sometimes these things just seem like you know generic useless <laughs> platitudes uh but the the truth is in our industry in software engineering maybe 20% of people are are senior engineers, which doesn't make sense because a lot of times seniority is just a function of time. If you're in the, if you're in the industry long enough, you will become a senior by default. It's just how it works. Right. So why is why is it only like 20% of people are senior engineers? It's because the burnout rate is so high in our industry because people either get into it for the wrong reasons, if they get into it for money and they're not as passionate or interested in coding, you're going to burn out really quickly, especially when you're solving those late night bugs. And right. it's just, you're like, why am I doing this? And you question everything about it. And the, the, the attrition rate is so high. The burnout rate is really high in our industry. And I think a lot of that's due to maybe misguided motivations or they're just not working at the right place. So the ability to recognize when you're not in a healthy culture in a healthy place and knowing people who Maybe they have a job opening or they're just there to talk to you about it really helps you. And it, I think it keeps you going much more than we give it credit for. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's funny. I read what you said about, you know, working up, staying up till midnight, trying to fix a bug. I, I found a cool article not long ago, I think on Medium, but it was about something, the title about, you know, the myth of the super developer is dead or something like that. And the, the premise of the post was, you know, you don't have to be that developer that's literally burning midnight oil and working from, you know, you get off work and then you're jumping on something else and working from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m. and like drinking 35 cups of coffee and that's how you make your way to the top. Like, I think that's kind of a funny stigma, but I'm sure a lot of people still operate that way or think they need to operate that way. And that's not, that's not the case. I mean, as you said, it's more about finding what works for you. There's so many tools out there that can make your life easier and um, finding a team and finding a balance where you're happy and, and you're fulfilled in what you're doing, not just like working as hard as you possibly can, as many hours as you can, and just thinking that one day <laughs> that means you'll make it to the top because you'll just burn out. And like, that's right what you said, the burnout rate, that's why it's super high for this industry. So I think that's a good point to bring up as well. Yeah, exactly. That, that, was, that was well said. <laughs> well, hey, I know we're, Coming up on time, I didn't even realize this. It's been super fun chatting with you, Jem. I really appreciate it. Um, one last thing, fun little thing I like to ask is if you have any new technologies or frameworks or libraries or anything that you're super excited about this year or focusing on right now. Um, I know people sometimes love to talk about what they're, you know, what's coming out or what they've switched over to, what they're using, just anything you're excited about at the moment. Uh, yeah, I, I will be slightly self, self, uh, serving here, but <laughs> that's okay. You know, that's what we do. Uh, I just finished a workshop for front end masters called introduction to WebAssembly, where I teach a, a full day course on, you know, introducing 
front end engineers to low level programming concepts and like bits and shifting them around and all, all that fun stuff. I will say WebAssembly is some of the most exciting technology I've seen in a long time. It's missed easily because uh, especially UI engineers or JavaScript develop developers look at it and say like, whoa, what, what is this? And the concepts are pretty unfamiliar. Like we don't, if, if you do a lot of JavaScript, you're used to the automatic garbage collection and WebAssembly doesn't have that yet. So like <laughs> manually allocating memory for your strings and things like that are completely foreign concepts. But the power of WebAssembly in that you can write it in Rust or C Sharp or C++ or even JavaScript uh, using assembly scripts, and you can write this powerful low-level programming language that runs on any web browser and can run outside of a web browser on a desktop is such a powerful concept. And the fact that we can build desktop quality apps at near native speed is it's so amazing. It, it, is, it is the next revolution on the web. And I don't use that term lightly, but I, I truly believe uh, WebAssembly is going to be one of the more influential things that happened to the internet. And, you know, probably since the invent of uh, someone figured out uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you can load parts of a web page uh, using Ajax. Right. And you don't have to refresh the entire page, which people totally forgot was like <laughs> brand new technology. And it, it blew people away. It, it changed the way we, we, uh, we build apps. I think WebAssembly has that same power. Okay. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. Um, I'll be sure to put some info about that in the podcast kind of details. And I'll also put some links to where people can find you. I know you post some super helpful stuff on Twitter for the community and um, I'm sure people will want to connect. So this has been super fun chatting with you, Jim. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got a lot on your plate. Um, so it was really nice to meet you and I'm excited to stay in contact. I think as we were talking about networking, you know, we didn't really talk about social media, but I've discovered over the last year that Twitter is such an awesome way to meet people. So really appreciate you taking the time. This was super fun. Thanks, Margo. Thanks. Thanks to you and uh, Harper for having me on. I, I really appreciate you letting me uh, go on tangents about leadership and, <laughs> and software engineering. <laughs> of course. Well, thanks so much and uh, have a great intro to your weekend. Same, same, and happy Friday. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places. Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.